Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Today's cool fact of the day is the first pacemaker was designed in 1952. It was a portable cardiac resuscitator that, when you plugged it into a wall socket, could deliver an electric shock through a belt worn by the patient. That would get their heart to resume normal function. It was reasonably effective, but it was really only used in emergencies because of the fact that you had to plug it in for work and you couldn't plug it into the cigarette lighter on your car. I'm pretty sure that I like today's quantified self-technologies a little bit more. It's also not well known that there are still a few people alive walking around with nuclear-powered pacemakers put in in the early 60s. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Today on Bulletproof Executive Radio, I've got Jonathan Baylor. He's an expert on using food and exercise quality rather than quantity to practically and permanently restore your body's ability to be healthy. His work bridges the gap between like the scientific world and the marketing world. And I was pretty impressed when I met him 
in person on the low carb cruise. We got to spend about a week together really chatting and getting to understand each other's work. And I was pretty impressed. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Can't wait to hear more from you. Dave, thank you so much for having me, man. Your show is is amazing. Pleasure to be here. Let's jump right in. Why would you write a book called The Calorie Myth? What's the basic premise behind thinking about calories? We've been told for as long as I can remember that the way we can be healthy and slim is as simple as counting calories in and counting calories out. And that's just been the norm. And it's also been the norm that up until 19, the 1970s, no one in the mainstream knew what a calorie was. And yet the rates of obesity, diabetes, heart disease, every major indicator of quality of life and quality of health were far superior. So in the exact same time frame that we were told to think more and more about calories, and we are thinking more and more about calories, we're exercising more than we ever have, and we're dieting more than we ever have, and there's more 100-calorie snack packs than we've ever had, and people don't even think about food anymore. They just think about calories. That has coincided with the largest degradation in our health and quality of life in history. And someone needs to say, counting calories cannot be required for long-term health and fitness, if for no other reason, because no one knew what a calorie was, let alone counted them, when everyone was healthier and fitter. So we just dig really deep into the science of why thinking about calories instead of relevant things like food and hormones and sleep and happiness just, just needs to go away, frankly. All right. Which is more useful to measure your food intake? Is it calories or grams? Most useful would be not to measure your food intake <laughs> and to let your hypothalamus and your gut measure it for you, which is what is supposed to happen and what will happen when you eat the right quality of food. So you're talking about, what's that, the H word, hunger? <laughs> yeah, believe it or not, humans are not the only species on the planet that has no automatic ability to balance energy. Like, think about every other species on the planet. Somehow, they are able, when given the food they are intended to eat, to not become morbidly obese. It, However, we are somehow led to believe that we are dumber or lazier than every other species on the planet in the sense that we just we, we can't do that. We must have to consciously regulate this one biological function because we're just too dumb to survive otherwise. You obviously haven't met my dog. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's it's really a funny thing to think about that because dogs in the wild don't get overweight. And it's not that there isn't enough food, it's that they automatically regulate what they eat. And when you put a dog in your house and you give them mass processed food with honestly glutamate and gluten and things in it, it shouldn't have, your dog will lose its ability to regulate its hunger. So are we counting calories because we've changed our food to the point that our automated hunger detection systems don't work anymore? Like, What's your take on that? That's exactly right, Dave. If Imagine a world in which we were led to believe, and this isn't far off because it was the world circa 100 years ago, 
where smoking wasn't bad for you. We just thought air was air. And just like, it's just air is all the same. Like things you can breathe in are all the same. So in that world, we may like not getting lung cancer would become very complicated, very complicated. There would be all these schemes and programs to like try to make you exhale more and inhale less. Maybe it would just be really weird and odd when if we just got to the science, which fortunately we did, and now the mainstream understands that we've changed our lives accordingly, that things you can inhale are not the same. Quality matters. And if you just avoid inhaling things that cause lung cancer, like cigarette smoke, it is very hard, very hard to get lung cancer. Your body does not want to have lung cancer. It will do everything in its power to not have lung cancer. There's a reason very few people had lung cancer up until recently. But you think about that and then you think about the way we perceive food and calories and it's similar. When we're told just eat anything, as long as you don't eat too much of it, that's, that's obviously foolish and false. But when you do that, when you start to expose your body to toxins, as you know, then minimizing your exposure via any mechanism will result in some positivity, but that's not really the solution. Yeah, it, it does feel to me like calories have become an amazing marketing tool because they let you say, look, there's less of these bad things in this food pack. And what you're doing is you're cutting your cost of selling something. You know, if you previously had a normal meal's worth in that breakfast bar, you had 250, 300 calories, and who knows, they might even be quality calories. And then all of a sudden now you sell one, you sell two thirds less food for an extra dollar because it has less calories. It, it's a great way of extracting profit, but it seems like it's missing some really basic things like what are the calories made out of? Do you go into in your research what calories should be made out of? Definitely. The, the key thing is we can all talk about, I mean, there's this huge quality movement, obviously, about the, the quality of food. And it's important to eat high quality foods and avoid low quality foods and eat high quality calories versus low quality calories. But one thing that I've found to be very helpful is to come up with a criteria by which we can evaluate the quality of these calories because a calorie isn't a calorie. Like we know this intuitively. Every, everyone in the world, regardless of their education level, knows that they feel different after they drink 300 calories worth of Pepsi versus if they were to eat 300 calories worth of whole nutritious things you could find directly in nature. So, but we have to come up with that framework. And fortunately, we don't actually have to come up with it because the scientific community has done so for us. There are four, there's obviously more, but to make this usable, there's four criteria that define the quality of a calorie. I use the acronym SANE to abbreviate, and the four factors are satiety, aggression, nutrition, and efficiency. And just really briefly, satiety is how quickly a calorie fills us up and how long it keeps us full. Aggression has a lot to do with glycemic index, glycemic load, the insulogenic properties of calories, the hormonal reaction caused in the body. Nutrition is the one we're most familiar with, but we're, we usually think in terms of nutrition quantity rather than nutrition quality. So I like to focus on nutrients per calorie. 
And then E is efficiency, which is the least well-known in the mainstream, and that is how efficiently our body can take this calorie and store it as body fat or take it through the chemical processes necessary to turn it into triglyceride such that we can store it. So we want to eat sane, satisfying, unaggressive, nutritious, inefficient calories if our goal is long-term fat loss and health. And we want to eat so many of those that were too full for insane, low-quality calories because I believe, and the science supports, that nobody can go through life happy while simultaneously going through life hungry. You know, that happiness versus hunger thing is at the core of some of the bulletproof techniques I talk about as well, uh, because it's such a burden on your psyche to walk around hungry all the time and is a recipe for failure. And it, it's one of the things that the kind of calorie cultists oftentimes just don't talk about. We'll just try harder. like. Jonathan, have you been obese? Dave, I haven't, but I've been the opposite, and that was actually very formative for me. We can get into that if you want. Well, let's let's talk about that in a minute. Uh, my experience being obese, 300 pounds, you know, I didn't like being obese, believe it or not, and I knew I was fat. I have a mirror. I didn't even need a scale. And the amount of time that I spent being hungry and just feeling like crap because I was hungry is almost embarrassing in retrospect. Like, why didn't I figure it out sooner? But now that obesity has become such an epidemic, there's people walking around with a huge guilt burden about feeling like they didn't try hard enough and all of this. And you said something really important there that, you know, hunger and happiness are at opposite ends of the spectrum. And if you don't address that problem, it's going to be hard to be thin and happy. Dave, let's highlight that because you are spot on anybody, anybody who just says eat less, turn back to that person and say, so like how, like, how is that different? Maslow's hierarchy identified this many moons ago and it's not controversial. Like telling someone just eat less is a bit like saying, Dave, you could be healthier if you just went to the bathroom less. Just like don't go to the bathroom as often or don't sleep as much. Like, Dave, all you have to do is sleep four hours a night every night for the rest of your life and don't ever go back to sleeping a normal amount because if you sleep a normal amount, you'll be way worse off than if you ever started sleep starving yourself in the first place. Like, that's for some reason eating is treated differently than every other life-sustaining function and it shouldn't be. It's a basic natural life-sustaining function. Uh, I've never had anyone on the podcast say that eating is like pooping, but I get your point. <laughs> well, it's it's the yin to that yang, right? It's the in part and the other one is the out part. <laughs> I totally get it. And it makes sense. And it, it does, it almost reminds me of my three-year-old who, you know, looked at me the other day and said, I'm never going to go poop again. I'm like, I just told him, good luck with that. Like, what, what, what do you say to that? But that whole thing, be hungry for the rest of your life, it's the same answer. Good luck with that. It, yep. It's simply not going to work. But uh, the people who are listening to this going, oh, for God's sake, these guys clearly don't understand physics and chemistry because there's a law of thermodynamics. You know, it, it's a closed system. Energy comes in, energy goes out. So calories really do count. I mean, there's kind of an element of, of truth to that as well. What's your take on that? Absolutely, Dave. It's not that calories are like unicorns and don't actually exist. They, they do exist and they do 
matter. They just do not need to be and cannot need to be consciously regulated. Uh, vitamin C matters and exists, but I don't know anybody who monitors to the rigor that we monitor calories, vitamin C in and vitamin C out or potassium in and potassium out. So calories absolutely matter. Where people get tripped up is we've been lied to about the quote unquote law of thermodynamics. So really quickly, because everyone cites this and it's just, it's a misrepresentation of the laws of thermodynamics. So there is no law of thermodynamics. There are four. Two of them have nothing to do with eating and exercise. They have to do with things like defining absolute zero, but there are two that do matter and are relevant here. And they tell us, like you mentioned, that's the closed system thing. Energy cannot be created nor destroyed. It can only change forms. So that is law. That is thermodynamic law. It makes sense. People take that and they say that if you eat less or you create an energy deficit and eating less and creating an energy deficit are not simultaneous, or excuse me, are not synonymous. We'll get into that in a second. They say that if you create a caloric deficit, you have to burn fat because energy cannot be created nor destroyed. It can only change forms. Now, there's a huge assumption in there, Dave. What the two applicable laws of thermodynamics tell us is that, one, if you are able to create a caloric deficit, and there's an assumption that eating less will do that, if you are able to create a caloric deficit, they tell us that the body has to do something. They do not thermodynamic laws do not tell you what the body has to do. That's biology. That's not thermodynamics. And the biology has been demonstrated in every relevant study ever conducted. And that's if you do create a caloric deficit, the first thing the body does is burn less calories. We've all experienced this. If you, if you have less fuel in, the body just says, oh, better have less fuel out. It's not, we, that's why you get tired, right? The body's and trying cold. to maintain homeostasis. Yeah. Cold, your base metabolic rate drops. This is not controversial. This has been demonstrated in every clinical study ever conducted on the matter. Less calories in means less calories out. Then if you're still in a state of caloric deficit, your body will burn tissue, but it'll start to burn muscle tissue. Why? Because muscle tissue is more metabolically active than fat tissue. So you're going to burn off a large percentage of muscle tissue. So again, You'll lose some weight, but that's not healthy. At that point, if you're still in a state of caloric deficit, the body will burn fat, but at what cost? You've slowed down your metabolism. You've burnt off your muscle tissue. Frankly, you've set yourself up for long-term fat gain. So what the applicable laws of thermodynamics, when combined with the proven laws of biology, actually tell us is that if we follow the conventional wisdom, we will end up in exactly the world we're in, which is a 95.4% failure rate for everyone who tries to do it. And 40 million children under the age of five who are overweight and over two thirds of the population who's overweight, it doesn't work. Do you know how many calories go into thinking? <laughs> Lots. If you have less calories, do you believe you'll think less? <laughs> It, well, it will certainly impair brain function. It, it does. And, and this was part of my problem when I was really fat. <laughs> I tried to cut calories to get less fat. I was getting brain fog. And I had major stress issues. I had toxin issues. I had emotional issues uh, around relationships and all kinds of stuff that I, would, I needed to deal with. So brain fog comes from all forms of stress and some toxins. But the, 
the stress that you put on the body from cutting calories is a biological stressor that makes your adrenals more tired. Uh, but honestly, up to 20, in some peak states, 25% of your calories get burned by your brain. It's like trying to make your laptop run on power save mode, but do heavy duty crunching in video games. It'll start to stall out because there's not enough power in the processor. So when people say eat less calories, it means, and I'm sure that you'll talk about this in your book, it, you know, it means move less. When we lower our metabolic rate, we wiggle less often, we sit still more, and the micro movements that consume our calories, they go down, and our thought processes become simpler because we're not going to waste any of our calories on paying extra attention to the world or ourselves. Like, that's scary stuff. It's like being in a, in a kind of stultified state. And for a little while, you can get a burst of energy like from fasting, though. Do you talk about fasting or do you think about that? And how, why does fasting work, but it doesn't work to just routinely cut calories? Because that also seems like a bit of a contradiction here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't get into fasting. I'll be very transparent. My research did not. I know fasting is like the new hotness uh, in the in the diet and exercise community, and I am not an expert in fasting. What I can tell you is that sustained and unintentional deprivation of calories without any monitoring of the quality of calories consumed is unequivocally unhealthy. Now, I know, Dave, you are one of the experts on various ways of conducting fasting that may be helpful for individuals. And let's be clear here. Let's be very open and honest. When someone goes sane, so you have the bulletproof diet. I, I advocate a, a sane lifestyle. Both are, are similar in many, many ways. When someone does that, they will be eating more satisfying, unaggressive, nutritious, and inefficient calories. When they do that, they will experience, and this is demonstrated in myriad clinical studies, the technical term for it is a spontaneous reduction in caloric intake. They will eat fewer calories and they will burn more, but they will do that without trying because their brain and their gut and their hormones will work differently. So someone could say, well, Jonathan, you just contradicted the heck out of yourself because you're saying that uh, it's not about counting calories and yet you're saying when someone enhances their food quality, they will take less in and burn more off. Well, yes, no one is saying that you can take more in and burn less off and somehow burn body fat. No one is saying that. What we're saying is what is the most effective way long-term to increase health and happiness while having your body take a sufficient quantity of calories in automatically and then burning a healthful amount off automatically to be in that state of nutritional serenity automatically. So it matters. It's just not, it can't need to be our conscious focus. That's an argument that people use to say the Atkins diet doesn't work or if it does work, it works because you just naturally eat less. So calories still count. It's just that when you eat you know, any of these uh, higher fat or higher protein diets, you just naturally ate less. And, and I've seen some amazing 
we'll just call it stretches of logic and rationality to, to sort of, quote, prove that it's all about the calories, even though most of those studies don't involve things that measure respiration and room temperature and things like that that are huge consumers of calories. So, so I did an experiment. I ate about 4,500 calories a day, sometimes only 4,000, for about two years, and I stopped exercising, and I slept five hours a night or less. And my goal was to put on a couple pounds and say, oh, look, at the end of 60 days, I gained two or three pounds, and I should have gained you know, 24 pounds, according to the calorie people. Hmm, I think that we've kind of put a stake in it. What I didn't expect to happen was that I would feel amazing and lose weight and gain muscle. And I ended up doing it for about two years straight and had like improvements in many different health categories. I was eating super high quality food. I was putting insane amounts of, of butter in my Bulletproof coffee and literally going out of my way to get that many calories. The only way to do it was really by eating a lot more fat just to physically get it into my stomach. Now, everyone out there who still sticks to calories in, calories out says, it's not possible, you're lying. At which point, I don't know the right answer other than pound sand, right? Like, there's no discussion to be had there. But if you assume I'm not lying and that I was as surprised as I was by the growth of a six-pack, <laughs> then is there a way to explain that with the research you've done? Absolutely, Dave. And it's it's this problem, there's this, like, human nature where it seems like, not to get wax philosophical here for a second, but it seems like... Sometimes, especially if we have a vested interest in a position, I'm guilty of this as anyone else, that we tend to see things as either or rather than both and. And I think this might be an instance of both and. When you eat 4,000 calories a day, you will burn more calories. In fact, you if, if you could calculate down to the cellular level all the different calories you were burning – like there is that energy balance equation, which is which is happening. Your mitochondria are functioning faster. You you are less efficient digesting food, so dietary induced thermogenesis goes up. Non exercise induced activity thermogenesis goes up. You'll probably be synthesizing more tissue. A lot of people don't know this, but muscle protein synthesis in and of itself, if maximized can burn upwards of a third of the total number of calories we burn in a day. So like just like, so if you take a person, Dave, this is literally like, look up Donald Lehman. He's one of the top protein researchers in the world out of the university of Illinois. And you could take people, you could take one person and feed them this isocaloric study. So feed them 2000 calories and have within that 2000 calories, them never eating a 30 gram dosage of protein and then have another group of people eat 2000 calories and have them get a 30 gram dose of protein such that the amino acid leucine gets up to a certain level in their blood at least three times a day. The latter group will eat the exact same number of calories as the former group, but their calories out without talking about movement at all will be three to 600 calories higher simply because they will be triggering up to 250 grams of new tissue being synthesized on their body, whereas the first group will not. So again, it's, 
we all know naturally thin people. I was a naturally thin person. Dave, for years, I consumed 6,000 calories a day in an effort to gain weight. You know what that made me do? It made me go to the bathroom all the time, all the time, <laughs> because my body just found ways to address more in with more out. So I stayed at a state of homeostasis. So when people are calling you a liar, that's you're not lying. The body and every biological organism, we all know this on some level, we all learned it in high school biology class, works to maintain a state of homeostasis. Uh, so, so what you're saying, this is another argument, is that then you didn't absorb the calories, you ate them, but you just pooped them out. And since you didn't absorb them, calories still count. Well, and again, I don't think anyone is saying calories don't count except for maybe Dr. Herman Taller who wrote a book with that title back in like the 1950s. He wrote a book called Calories Don't Count. Now, I, I don't think calories don't count. I like – I think it was Richard Feynman or Eric Westman who said it's not that calories don't count. It's that you don't need to count calories. Calories matter, but there are tens if not more – of isocaloric studies that prove definitively that if you feed group A, X calories with this composition of macronutrients and sources, and group B, the exact same number of calories, but you vary the quality, that you will get a difference of weight gained. And they are isocaloric studies, they're metabolic ward studies, so they control variables as tightly as they could possibly be controlled. Wow. That, that's kind of profound, and uh, I think that answers it answers the question pretty dramatically. There's just there's no way to look at what's happening in people and say calories don't count, and there's no way to say that calories count exclusively for weight loss and weight gain. I am fond of saying calories and grams both count. Like how many grams of food did you have today? There is going to be a correlation of the grams you eat and your weight at some point. But if you count calories as the primary way of measuring what you put in your body, I'll say they don't count because it's not a useful way to lose weight and it's not a useful way to optimize your health or your mental focus or anything else. Um, but it's not like it's not something that's out there as a variable, but it's I don't know, the 10th most important variable, I would say, maybe somewhere on that line. Do you agree? Like how, if you were to stack rank them on all the things you talk about, like food quality and all, where do calories lie in importance? Like on a scale of one to 10 is probably the right ranking. Like are, are they, if one is the most important thing you could do, is calories a five or are they a 10 if 10 is the least important? I think as evidenced by every human being that lived prior to the 1960s, that if you never heard the word calorie, you would be healthier and fitter as a result. <laughs> That's, uh, uh, I, I like that line of thinking. And how can you, uh, I don't know how to argue against that, but I'm trying to just for the sake of having an, an intellectual discussion that people can get both sides of it. Um, what about feed efficiency in terms of uh, uh, use efficiency in like how, how quickly it absorbs into fat? Feed efficiency in agriculture is is another variable, and we've found a few toxins that they're now actively uh, converting into, I don't know what to call them, pharmaceutical supplements for animals that increase feed efficiency by 30%, which means they feed them 30% less calories and they gain the same amount of weight. 
have you come across anything like that or, or do you have any explanation for how that works into the calorie myth or how calories work? The hormonal state of the body has absolutely in, in all sorts of animal as well as human models shown to change what is what happens with calories when we ingest them. Uh, we can get into the studies, but if you want personal examples, anybody who has quit smoking, anybody who has gone on insulin therapy, anyone who has gone on or off antidepressants, and anyone who's gone on anabolic steroids will tell you that in any of those situations, you can eat the same and exercise the same and your body will do something different. And that's because despite no change in the quality or quantity of calories, the system you are putting them in has changed and thus the end result will change. Okay, I, I buy that. You talk about something else in, in your writing, and we chatted about this on the Low Carb Cruise, about getting eccentric. What's the deal with that? <laughs> eccentric is a method, uh, or it's actually just a portion of any, maybe not any, most physical movement. So we talk about lifting weights. When you lift a weight, like curl your arm up as you're listening to this podcast, you just contracted the muscle. You said the concentric portion of an ar a bicep curl. If you then lower your arm back down, you extend the muscle, you've done the eccentric portion of that movement. The reason this is interesting is because researchers have consistently found that our muscles are up to 40% stronger when they contract eccentrically. I don't know don't know why they just are like why are you right-handed versus left-handed why do you have brown hair versus blonde hair you just do human muscles generate up to 40 percent more force when they contract eccentrically you can test this for yourself by going to the gym and getting a exercise that operates on the horizontal plane like you could sit down and stand up or walk up and down stairs but then you might argue oh gravity is involved so let's take gravity out of the equation get on a horizontal chest press or row machine, and then select a weight that you cannot lift with one arm, but could very easily lift with two arms. Lift it with two arms and then gently release one arm and notice how you can slowly lower a weight you couldn't lift with one arm down with one arm, meaning you could lower that weight down with one arm, but you couldn't lift it with one arm. The reason for that is you are literally up to 40% stronger eccentrically than you are concentrically. Again, anecdotally, you often, when people get stuck on bench press, they don't get stuck lowering the weight, they get stuck raising the weight. Of course, gravity is involved there, but we can eliminate that by doing a row or a horizontal press. The reason that matters, Dave, is that for exercise to really make a long-term difference in our metabolism, we need to use it to create a hormonal change. We need to trigger those anabolic hormones like testosterone, norepinephrine, adrenaline, all that fun stuff. The way we do that is by activating our most forceful muscle fibers. Just like we have different muscles on our body to do different things, we have different fibers within our muscles to do different things. So for example, our strongest muscle fibers are called our type 2B muscle fibers. Those only get activated when we require our muscles to generate as much force as they possibly can. It's like our last line of defense. 
So if we want our muscles to generate the most force possible and activate the most muscle fibers and the most forceful muscle fibers so that we trigger the biggest hormonal response possible, we need to find a way of exercising that safely allows us to generate as much force as possible. Focusing on slowly lowering weight rather than quickly lifting weight, which is what a lot of people do, is a very safe way to generate a lot of force and to get eccentric, as I call it, and create that hormonal response, which changes the way your body works and helps you to be thin and healthy long-term. That is a, a pretty powerful answer, and it goes right to the heart of how exercising less can give you better results by understanding the nuances. The, the calorie crowd will tell you, you know, go for a long jog because it burns more calories. And my Nike Fuel wristband um, tells me how many calories I burned, which I, I'm always like, how, doesn't even know what the temperature is. Like if I'm sitting in ice water, I just burn like five times more calories than not. <laughs> but like clearly if you apply calories to exercise, I mean, is there any use to doing that at all? No, stop. <laughs> Don't think about calories anymore. <laughs> okay, but I mean, telling people to not think about calories is going to be tough because you know, there's a whole bunch of research out there. And when you go to McDonald's, which you shouldn't do in the first place, uh, it says, here's how many calories are in this. And then they charge more because there's less actual food in it when they're trying to do with the low calorie menu. But They'll also tell you at the same time, you go to the gym, exercise for a half hour, and that's equal to you know, one bag of potato chips or, or whatever the calorie equivalent is. What we're saying, I think both of us differently in our, our work, is, is like completely for exercise. Calories are a variable that is maybe even less useful than it is for food, and given that neither you nor I looks at calories as a particularly meaningful way of looking at food. It's just that it's hard for the average person to see food without putting calories in it. Like, like it, it's a part of our core mental process. And until you change your worldview about food, calories are going to be there. So, so let's acknowledge that. Let's show people through the show that that way of thinking about the world isn't there. It doesn't mean that tomorrow when they see a chance to go jogging that they're not going to say I burn calories or a chance to eat food that they're going to pick a food like that. Let, let's assume that they're going to do one of those, which is more like which is is more harmful looking at exercise as a way to use up calories or looking at food as a way to put them into the body because they're opposite ends of the spectrum but they're things everyone does dave you're spot on that calories are even less relevant in the exercise arena than they are in the eating arena because in the eating arena as you mentioned when you did your 4500 calories a day experiment and when i did my 6000 calories a day everyday life calories are an approximate proxy of food quality. If you're eating high quality food, it will be uncomfortable to consume over a certain number of calories. So if you could have a device slapped to your wrist that told you how many calories you ate today, and without trying, you ate 6,000 calories, you will know by definition that the quality of your calories was low. So that, that is the relevance Calories could be used as a proxy for the quality of calories you're consuming roughly. But when it comes to exercise, they are completely irrelevant. We get into the science, but I think a more powerful example is saying that 
I ate a 200 calorie bag of potato chips. So now if I go burn off 200 calories, I'm good is as accurate as saying, I just smoked two packs of cigarettes or I just snorted two lines of cocaine. Now I'm going to go exercise to cancel that out. There is a that's and that's the problem with calories, no. Dave. Is it you, you, your equation's wrong? You have to have a diet coke in there too, and then it works. <laughs> but right, Dave, that is the problem with calories. Is it, it it attempts to be this false lowest common denominator? Like we know that you can't exercise off what cigarettes do to your lungs, but we're led to believe that you can exercise off what Coca Cola does to your pancreas, and you can't and you don't like there's so much more going on than calories that when you focus on calories big food and pharmaceutical can just use it to blind you to all this other more important stuff that's going on uh, that was that was really well said i appreciate that thank you uh, yeah, I, I I'm also of that mindset. I used to really look at the calorie count on the treadmill. It was something that mattered when I weighed 300 pounds, and I would actually feel guilty, like, well, I'm just gonna eat a little bit less, and and you just get so tired when you do that. And when I, I go to the, I fly a lot, I, and lately, I I get the aisle seat because I'm tall, and so many people are so fat that they keep like whacking me in the face with their butts. Um, it's because their butt does not fit between the seats. And we're talking like a good percentage of people on an airplane now. Um, and they're not rude. They, they're just fat. And you can see like when you look at what they're eating <laughs> that there's this desperate, desperate attempt to keep the calorie count low. And you can see just how tired and just exhausted uh, people are when, when they get like that. And to think of doing that and then sitting down on an elliptical or, you know, a bicycle machine and then, you know, pounding out 45 minutes of that when you're in that exhausted state, thinking about it makes me tired because I did it for so long. Like, like I used every ounce of willpower to do it and it didn't give me more willpower. It actually gave me less. So if, if you hear anything from our podcast today, it, it's don't measure your exercise with calories. It's even dumber than measuring your food with calories. Dave, there is a Really to drive that home, there was a study I uncovered while writing the, the upcoming calorie myth, that very recent study, it came out last year, just startling where they took one of the few hunter-gatherer civilizations that still exist. I'm going to mispronounce their name. I think it's Hazada or Hazah something. And they took them and they used a very precise measurement called, or as precise as you can get, called double labeled water to calculate their calories in and calories out. And then they took a similar type of, of people, gender, age from the Western, sort of Western modern culture. And they wanted to see what the differences are. So testing a couple things like did our hunter-gatherer ancestors, were they more active than us? And was that why they were thinner than us? And just very interesting to take two similar groups, one of which is living that hunter-gatherer lifestyle and another of which is similar in as many ways possible but living a more sedentary Western lifestyle. Here's what's mind-blowing about the study, Dave, is – well, this part isn't mind-blowing. They found that the hunter-gatherers – did burn more calories through physical activity. Absolutely. That was very, very clear. Here's the mind-blowing thing, and here's what we get into in much more detail in the book, Dave. They found that the total 
calories burned between the individuals in the more active hunter-gatherer group and the less active Westerners group was not statistically different. It sounds like I just contradicted myself. How can one group be more physically active and not burn more total calories than a group who is less physically active? Here's why. When the group that was more physically active wasn't being physically active, their body ran slower. There's a reason you sleep better after exercising. Your body is trying to conserve and make up for the calories you just burnt off. So not only is it extremely hard to burn calories through exercise, it's extremely hard to burn calories. Your body will then do everything it can to make you burn less for the other 99% of your life when you're not exercising. It will also make you try to eat more. So even more reason not to beat yourself up on the treadmill. Very, very well put. The amount of, of effort that we have is, or sorry, not effort, the amount of, uh, of willpower that we have to apply to effort has been shown to be limited, and I, I've written about that on, on my blog. And for people listening to this, if you are using your willpower to try and control this homeostatic mechanism in your body that says when you eat more, you have more energy, when you eat less, you have more energy, you, you use less energy, those are very low-level automated processes that we share with dogs and lizards and, and pretty much everything else that, uh, that is multicellular. Energy, energy use changes with energy consumption. If you're trying to use your willpower to change that equation, you're probably wasting a lot of, of your core ability to change yourself or to change the world around you, and you're not going to be getting results from that. And this whole you know, least effort to get the most gain it comes into play because you're not getting the gain there. And it's, it's one of the hardest biological systems to control consciously. It may be possible if you're some sort of advanced, you know, thousand-year-old monk somewhere. But the average human being, even with all the biohacking technologies that I know about, isn't equipped to take that low-level automated hormonal control of the body and make it a conscious process subject to what we want or don't want. It, it's just like not pooping. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> so I, you, I think you explained, uh, explained that in a, in a really convincing way, and I appreciate that. We are running out of time on our show, and Jonathan, I wanted to thank you for, uh, for all the work you're doing. I cannot wait to read The Calorie Myth. I'm looking forward to getting my advanced copy We'll get you on the show when that uh, uh, when that's about to launch in January. Where should people go now in order to get uh, in order to get more information from you? Two websites, Dave. The first is smarterscienceofslim.com. Can get more information also on our podcast, which is. Uh, Someday we'll be ranked as high as Dave's. We'll see. I don't know. We're trying. Like, how does he do that? <laughs> but the, the secret is really good guests. So thanks, oh, man. Oh, there you go. Well, <laughs> well we, we had you on the show here recently, so hopefully that'll give us a boost. So check out smarterscienceofslim.com. Also check out podcast by the same name, which is Smarter Science of Slim. And then the book website, which is still under development, but it's got some good stuff up there, is Calorie Myth Book. Dot com And in both places, you can sign up for an awesome 28-day program as well as free, simple daily tips. So a lot of great free resources. Jonathan, thanks again for being on the show. 
I look forward to talking again with you in about three months. My pleasure, Dave. Thank you. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.